Well, Yvonne and I were on sabbatical last summer, and so we missed all of the outdoor services uh, that we had this past summer. We heard uh, some good things from those services, and we'll just we'll see how today goes, and we'll just see um, see how this is. This, I think it's a beautiful day God has given to us. Uh, I know that there are distractions around. Um, you know, maybe some of the kids would like an outdoor service because I'm going to preach a little bit shorter today than normal. <laughs> would be nice for them. Um, and I understand just the, the difficulty of, of what it is to pay attention when you got the, the clouds moving and the, and the leaves dropping on you perhaps and you see the sun and the, the wind kind of waving and it's uh, very enjoyable. And, and I just trust as I just open the scriptures to you, you might just receive it um, with joy and it would help your soul. So this morning we're going to look at just four verses. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, we're just going to look at the next four verses, which is uh, really a, a simple story. Um, it's a, a simple story that has a, a simple lesson for simple people. And so that means it's a, it's a good lesson for all of us. It's a, a lesson of a, a paralyzed man who is healed through the power of Jesus Christ. And his healing then brings spiritual healing to many in the city. The title of my message this morning is The Healing of Aeneas. Four verses, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. It says this, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. We have your four verses this morning, and uh, four simple points to my message. Just one, one for each verse. The first two points are going to be about the people. Uh, there's going to be Peter, and there's going to be Aeneas, and then we're going to see the action. First of all, upon uh, the two people, and then as it extends then to those in the city. So first off here we have Peter. He's seen and introduced for us here in verse 32. It says, Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. Now, at, at this point in, in the book of Acts, you know, I, I'm not sure. Andy, are you helping me? Is this, is this annoying, the wind? Are we okay with that? All right, all right. At this point in the book of Acts, we, um, we haven't heard from Peter in quite some time. Uh, really, the main focus of the book of Acts in the first five chapters is all about Peter. A and then in, in chapter 6 and 7, he was gone, made a, a quick appearance in chapter 8, and now he's come back again. Chapter 7, if you remember, was all about Stephen. Chapter 8 was all about Philip. Chapter 9 is almost all about Saul. And then Peter's going to pick it back up again right here in the middle of chapter 9 through 10, 11, and 12. And then Peter's going to drop off the scene of the book of Acts. We're going to pick up Paul later on. Now this Peter, this is the mighty Peter. This is the Peter who preached at Pentecost with 3,000 people saved. This is the Peter who said to the lame man, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man who was crippled and lame and begging stood up and he walked. And he went about leaping and walking and praising God. This is the same Peter who, when confronted by the, the Sanhedrin, and, and was preaching against them, they threw him in prison for a night. And, and then the same group of people who, who cast Jesus to the cross and had him killed, 
Peter said to them, this Jesus is the stone which you rejected. He's become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Must be saved through Jesus. And this is the Peter who preached that. This is the Peter who was rebuked for his preaching. This is the Peter who uh, filled Jerusalem with his preaching after he was told not to preach. And this then also is the Peter who was beaten with rods. And he suffered shame for the name of Jesus. This is the, the mighty Peter is what you might call him at this point. And it says here in verse 32 that Peter went here and there among them all. In, in fact, in, in chapter 8, we saw Peter in Samaria uh, praying for the Samaritans. In chapter 8, verse 25, it says that this, he, was, he returned to Jerusalem after having been in Samaria preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And the picture here is, is Peter traveling from place to place, uh, just meeting with those who received the word of God and the message about Jesus. And, uh, and he was just, just coming with some authority from Jerusalem as a, a represent, representative of the apostles to affirm everything that was going on in these places the gospel was spreading. And, and I suspect that Peter, that's, that is, was his ministry uh, from chapter 7, 8, and, and, and 9 here even now. Is, is just walking around and just seeing where it was the, the Spirit of God was moving, where people were receiving the word of God, and just coming and giving his blessing and saying, yes, it's a wonderful thing. Yes, this is from God, and explaining just his time there with that. And if you remember last week when we talked about Saul, and this is probably at least three years later by the time Acts 9 hits, and maybe even some years after that. So Peter's been at this for several years, three, four, five, six, seven years, going around and just talking with people and encouraging them wherever they receive the word of the Lord. We find here in Lydda, we find that there are some saints. He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So there were some believers there. That is a saint. That's a holy one. Now, it's not that, that there are only a few saints. The, the Bible speaks very clearly about uh, saints in the Bible are all who believe in Jesus, who've trusted in him, and his blood has washed them and cleansed them and made them whole and made them righteous. Saints are believers. All of us who trust in the Lord today are believers in Christ. And he went down here to the, the saints who lived at, at Lydda. Lydda is southwest of uh, Samaria. It's toward the Mediterranean Sea. Not quite there at the end. By the end of uh, chapter 9, we're going to see Peter in Joppa, which is right on the Mediterranean Sea. So he's, he's sort of traveling around. It's the gospel spreading. He is, he's going there. And uh, there's more, however, to the story than just Peter. We see in verse 33 the second person here. His name is Aeneas. And there he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed, who was paralyzed. Now, we know so much about Peter, and as much as we know about Peter, we know very little about Aeneas. In fact, all that we know about Aeneas is right here, 33, 34, and 35 it is all we know. We, we know from his name that he's probably a Greek man because Jews didn't name their sons Aeneas because Aeneas was one of... The, the mythological gods in the Roman uh, mythology that was mentioned in Homer's Iliad. It's a common Greek name, but a Jew would never name his son Aeneas. Uh, verse 33 also tells this man had some sort of an accident or an illness that caused him to be contained in his bed for eight years. I mean, think about it. That, that he was a man, maybe 20, 30, 40 years old, and that means that before then, eight years before, something happened that brought him to be bedridden. Like I said, it may have been an accident, it may have been 
and uh, falling off the roof or a, a tree falling upon him or being trampled by a horse or injured in battle. It, it may have been some type of illness. Maybe something began eating away at his muscles and, and maybe eventually had no strength. Um, eventually, though, he was in bed for eight years. Just think about what that means. Eight years in bed. Totally dependent upon everyone else. You need someone to fix your meals. You need someone to bring you your clothes, perhaps even dress you. You need someone to, to help change your sheets. And if you would go anywhere, you need people to carry you. Now, I've been overseas on various numerous missions trips, and I've seen disabled people there and compared them with disabled people in the United States. It's vastly different. Here in America, we have nice vans. Here in America, we have these vans with elevator lifts. That uh, you can take a wheelchair, you can point it out onto that lift, you drop down, and then you can wheel around in your electric motor chair, your wheelchair, and you go up the, the handicap ramps, ramps that we have all around. It's just easy access, but not so in India and Nepal. Other developing nations in, in Africa or places in deep in, in Asia, places there, there are no vans, no wheelchairs, no wheelchair ramps with easy access. Life's hard for a disabled person in those in those lands, a third world country. Life was hard for this man. If he ever wanted to get a place, his friends had to carry him, had to pick him up, perhaps on a cot. That's why there were four of them in the ministry of Jesus who brought this lame man to Jesus and went through the, the roof of Peter's house because it took four of them to lift him up. This was a man who took great effort. And, and I'm not sure um, he went much of any place. Surely this led, I think, to a, a place of desperation and hopelessness in this man's life. Uh, many of you are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, July 30th, 1967. She, she had an injured, she, she broke her neck diving in, in Lake Chesapeake. And she's traveling the world since then. For the last 54 years, she's been in a wheelchair. She's really traveled the world over. I think most all of you know of her. Um, Many people have been inspired by her radiant joy in the Lord, but that's not always the case. When she was first injured and first facing traction um, and, and, and first dealing with the reality of not being able to move because she was paralyzed, even as Aeneas was, listen to what she wrote in her autobiography, which brought her to the pits of despair. She describes it really well. She says this, I desperately wanted to kill myself, but I couldn't move anything except my head. Physically, I had little more. I was little more than a corpse, and I had no hope of ever walking again. I had absolutely no idea how I could find purpose or meaning in just existing day after day, just waking and eating and watching TV, sleeping. Why on earth, she said, should a person be forced to live out such a dreary existence? How I prayed for some accident or miracle to kill me, the mental and spiritual anguish was as unbearable as the physical torture. But once again, there was no way for me to commit suicide. This frustration was also unbearable. I was despondent, but I was also angry because of my helplessness and how I wished for strength and control enough if my finger to do anything, anything to end my life. Tears or rage, fear and frustration only added to my despondency. But, but not only that, but she also doubted God. She said, who or what is God? Certainly not a personal being who cares for individuals, I reasoned. What's the use of believing when your prayers fall on deaf ears? And, and I have no doubt that Aeneas had similar feelings. 
of just hopelessness and despair. I mean, you don't become paralyzed with some accident where you're paralyzed for eight years on a bed trying just to, to figure out life without going through that moment. But then came this encounter, right? When Peter, of verse 32, met Aeneas, of verse 33, it says here in verse 33 that Peter found Aeneas. Now, you don't simply find a man who is in his bed, in his home. Either this man was brought to the street to beg, perhaps, or the people were talking about, hey, there's this man, I want you to go visit him, and maybe Peter went to visit this man. But anyway, this man, Peter found Aeneas. Aeneas, uh, we sense here, is not even looking for the Lord, he's not even looking for healing. In, in fact, we don't even know of anything here that Aeneas said. But Peter went to him, and then the action begins. We, verse 34, I'm calling it the healing. So we've seen Peter in 33, we've seen Aeneas at 32, we've seen Aeneas 33, and now 34, we see healing. And Peter said to him, short and simple, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Now, now catch the significance of, the event, of this event. This is a flat-out miracle. Now, I know there, there are some of you parents, uh, particularly parents of teens, I need to adjust your thinking here at this moment because you might be thinking of the different miracle. Like, your whole focus might be here upon uh, Peter when he says, make your bed, as if seeing Aeneas make his bed was actually something that happened. I mean, many parents of teens don't see that. When a parent says, make your bed, it never happened. But in this case, it did. And if you are thinking that's the miracle, that's not the miracle, okay? The miracle was that he was paralyzed and that he rose. He's a bedridden man for eight years, was in his bed, had bed sores. He rises up, gets out of his bed. And then, as verse 35 indicates, he goes out into the streets so that the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. No longer is he confined to his bed. No longer is he confined to his home. He's able to go out into the streets. He's able to walk to their, his friend's house. He's able to go to the store. He's able to care for himself. And if you remember it all from the book of Acts, you remember Peter doing almost exactly the same thing with a lame beggar begging there at the temple, at the beautiful gate of the temple. He says, Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And when he healed that man, he went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, we don't know here, we're not explicitly told in this text, this man went about walking and leaping and praising God, but I would not be surprised at all if he did, because when God heals, he heals completely. The glass is never half full with God. It's always completely full when he heals us. Because when God heals, he also heals with a purpose. And we see the purpose here in verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This is my last point this morning. It's simply called turning. Because that's the word used here in verse 35. All the residents, they saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, obviously, what it means if they turned to the Lord, it means at this point they were walking away from the Lord. Because your life, you're either walking towards the Lord or you're walking away from the Lord. And they turn to the Lord. It's a great picture of salvation. Where once they're walking away, they've seen the power of God. They, they saw what God can do. And maybe they had some contact with some of the, the saints in this church. And just with that contact and seeing this miracle and seeing Peter, this apostle from Jerusalem coming down, they saw it. And by faith, they, they believed it. And they believed in the Lord. They turned and then they walked towards the Lord. That implies a faith and trust in him. This little word turn to him does. 
as they're, they're probably praying and seeking the Lord. Uh, it probably implies an obedience to the Lord, with worshiping the Lord and, and giving to others and serving others. And certainly in the context of, of Acts, baptism. So these people were, were trusting in the Lord. And, and again, I go back to the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, the 17-year-old who was paralyzed in a diving accident. She turned to the Lord as well. It wasn't right after uh, her accident, but it was sometime later as she had a Bible study with a, a man named Steve. Steve Estes was his name. And he came and he studied the Bible with her and her friends. And listen to how she describes her turning to the Lord. She says, as Steve shared basic Bible doctrine with us, I began to see the shallowness of my own faith and spirituality. My spiritual ups and downs could be charted as my own faith and spirituality. This became something I wanted to overcome, something I wanted to deal with in a positive way. And I began to look to the spiritual principles and revolve my life around them for a change. And alone with God, I recalled how I'd withdrawn from reality and turned my back on God so often. I confessed, and here's Johnny Erickson Tata just confessing to the Lord and saying, Lord, I've been wrong. Wrong to try and shut you out. Forgive me, God. Thank you for this new understanding of your word which Steve has shared. Please forgive me and bring me back to you, back into fellowship with you once more. She says the Holy Spirit began to convict and then teach me. With each succeeding week, spiritual truth became more real, and I began to see life from God's perspective. And with God's help and forgiveness, she said, I repented. And here's sort of the fruit of repentance. She says, I prayed for God's direction and the mental willpower to think his thoughts and not wallow in self-pity and lustful memories and fantasies. I concentrated on the fact that once for all, I had to forget the past and concentrate on the present, trusting God, claiming the promise of Scripture that God separates us from our sins forever. Psalm 103, verse 12. I decided to rid myself of as many remembrance, reminders of the past as I could. I gave away my cherished hockey and lacrosse sticks. I sold my, my horse tumbleweed and got rid of all the other things that tied me to the old memories. Right, This old life, she wanted to turn from that. And she said, now, having sold all those things, I was, I was forced to trust God. I had no alternative but to thank him for what he was going to do with my future. And I began to pray and to depend upon him, and he did not disappoint me. Before, I'd say, Lord, I want to do your will, and your will is for me to get back on my feet, at least get my hands back. I was deciding his will for me and rebelling when things didn't turn out as promised. That's your old way. He says, but now I wept for all those lost months filled with bitterness and sinful attitudes. I prayed for an understanding of his will for my life. What was God's will for my life? To find out, I had to believe that all that happened to me was an important part of that plan. I, I read, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. God's will for me was to be thankful in everything. Okay, I blindly trusted that that was the truth. I thanked God for what he did and what he was going to do. That, that's a great picture of what it means to turn to the Lord. To turn away from the former things and turn to uh, the new things. To turn away from trusting self, to turn to trust God. To realize that, that God has promised that, that your sins have been cast as far from you, as far as the east is from the west. 
It means to forsake your past. It means to trust the Lord for your future. It doesn't mean to dictate your future. It means to trust. It means to make your plans, but understand that God's going to direct your steps. In the case of Johnny Erickson Tata, it meant trusting the Lord for her circumstances in life. And, and she has done wonderfully well. I mean, the fact that many of us know her is because she has proclaimed the gospel all around the world, using her disability to her advantage. And for those in Lydda and Sharon, right, turning meant trusting in the Lord and following in his ways. And this is predominantly a, a Gentile place. This is not a, not a place with lots of Jewish people who are following the law. This is a place with a bunch of Gentile people who are following after their own ways, their own thoughts of what was right. And it meant following the Lord. And, and it's interesting here that from best we can tell, only one man was healed, but all turned to the Lord. Look, look again at verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So they all saw him, the one man, and they all turned to the Lord. This was full-scale revival in Lydda. And not only in Lydda where Aeneas lives, but also in nearby Sharon. That, that would be like revival here in Loves Park and in Rockford and in McChesney Park and Roscoe. Just kind of the, the word of God spread as they saw this one man and this one miracle. And for them, seeing this miracle and hearing about this miracle was enough. They understood the power of God. They understood the presence of God. And they trusted in Peter's message of Jesus Christ crucified for their sins. And, and, and they turned from their sin. And they followed Jesus. I've never witnessed a miracle like this, where a paralyzed man was instantly healed. And I trust you haven't either. But you've heard about it. You've heard about it like those in Sharon. And I've told you about it today. Uh, about this man who, who came and, and uh, was bedridden for eight years, and Peter just told him, get up and walk, and he got up and walked. That's a demonstration of the power of God. And even if you can't see it, you never saw it, you've heard about it. And if you trust the scriptures that they are true, then you should respond like those did in, in Sharon and Lydda. It's really the, the call of our text today. It, it's to repent and to turn just like they did. I mean, that, that's the whole idea. Verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. And I guess I just ask you even today, are, are you walking towards the Lord? Or are you walking away from him? Or are you sort of walking towards the Lord? Or are you sort of walking away from him? I mean, if it is true, and it is, the Bible says it is, that, is that this really happened. And maybe it doesn't happen all over the place. It didn't happen all over the place back then. There's only one person. It really calls us, just on the basis of what's true in God's word, to turn as well and to seek the Lord. And if you're not, and if you're pursuing your other ways, like these people in, in Lydda and, and Sharon were, just encourage you, call you, command you to repent and turn and trust the Lord with, with all things. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I would pray that we would just marvel at your saving power, at your healing power, that you can take a man who's been paralyzed for eight years and raise him just simply with the words from Peter. That he, not Peter's power, clearly he went to the Lord. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Jesus Christ is the one who heals. Thank you, O Lord, that Jesus is the one who forgives us from our sins. He's the one that heals us, all our iniquities. He, he forgives all our iniquities. He forgives all our sins. And Father, I, I pray that we as a, a collective whole would see that and embrace that and that you would 
God calls us to, to turn again as First Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I pray, God, right now that you would cause us to be born again, those who don't know Christ, those who need to know him. And I, I pray that you would work in hearts now, that we would walk in his ways, we would walk towards him and serve him with all of our hearts for all of our lives. God, this one miracle alone was sufficient to save a whole town. And God, it is sufficient as we hear the message even to save people here today. And I pray that you would do that, that people would know forgiveness of sins, that we would walk as a unified church in the, the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for your attention and those of you who endured on, uh, on Facebook. Um, we're going to uh, transform now. We're going to have a, a picnic. And so what we have is we're going to pull up some chairs from uh, the basement. we got some tables in the hallway. We're just going to transform this. I know many of you brought, uh, brought some food. I encourage you to bring some food for someone who came unprepared. Uh, so there's plenty. If anyone wants some, we can, we can have that. So we'll just transform this. We'll just enjoy the rest of the afternoon together as we eat. We play some games, uh, enjoy one another's company. Let me just pray for our food. Uh, God might bless it and bless our time together. Father, I would pray, as uh, we read earlier from Philippians 4, God, that we would be of one mind. That we pull from Philippians 2, that we would be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And, and I pray that, God, as we just eat together, that's an opportunity for us to share with one another and to encourage one another and build one another up. And it be encouraging, enjoyable time. Thank you for this day that you have given. And I pray that you would refresh us, not only with our, our food, but with our fellowship as well. And I pray the food we eat, God, just would, would strengthen us to serve you. Would strengthen us so we might turn from our ways and turn and trust in you. May you be our blessing today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.